You are listening to the weekly podcast of Fellowship Paragold, a church committed to making the real Jesus known to every man, woman, and child. For more information about our church, please visit us at www.fellowshipparagold.com. Father, I do thank you so much uh, for time that we have right now to sit um, and to just listen to what it is that you have for us. I'm so thankful uh, for this Bible. There are so many people just thinking uh, yesterday throughout the world that still don't have the scriptures in their language. And we have multiple uh, translations. Uh, we have it at our fingertips. And I think because of that, it is so easy to take this for granted. Uh, thank you for giving us your word. Uh, thank you for telling us how we can experience you more deeply and more intimately and be the men and women that you've created us to be. I pray that right now, uh, through the teachings of the scripture, which we know is is active and living, that you would use it to pierce our hearts, that you would use it to transform us from the inside out. Holy Spirit, do what only you can do. Every single person in this room comes in in a totally different spot today. There is no way, no way that one man could possibly hit everyone where they are and give them exactly what it is they need. And so we just recognize, and I recognize right now, Holy Spirit, that's your work. And so do what you do in this moment. Open our hearts, open our minds, open our ears to receive what you have for us. It's in Christ's name that I pray and ask these things. Amen. Amen. Well, I will never forget the day that I first laid eyes on Megan Hawley. Uh, It was 2003. I was 20 years old. I just started following Jesus. And one day while I was working at the buckle, in walked this beautiful girl who was just simply looking for a pair of jeans. And as crazy as it may seem, uh, within the first 10 minutes of meeting this woman, I felt a strong impression from God that this was the woman that I needed to spend the rest of my life with. And for you haters out there that's like, dude, that wasn't an impression from God. You just liked the way she looked in a pair of BKE jeans. Uh, that is true. I like the way she looked in jeans then. Still like the way she looks in jeans now. Um, but the reality is, in that moment, I really felt a prompting from God that was basically him saying to me, you need to pursue this woman. Uh, this is a woman that you need to make your wife. So much so that after she walked out of the buckle, I went to my boss, Todd Roscoe, and I said to him, I know this sounds crazy, but I just talked to a girl for 15 minutes, but, but I really believe this woman's going to make someone a great wife someday, and I hope she's going to be my wife. And Todd said, uh, do you remember her name? And I'm like, no, I really don't. Um, but I know that she's from Marmaduke, and I'm in a band with a drummer from Marmaduke, so I'm going to go call him and see if he can tell me her name and get me some information. So I began to kind of stalk Megan uh, through my drummer, Nathan, and uh, ended up getting her email address. It was uh, MeganHolly at Hotmail.com. I reached out to her, emailed her, asked her if she'd want to go hang out sometime. Uh, she sent an email back that said, I do not date, but thanks anyway. And I was like, who said anything about date? You know, I just wanted to hang out. And so um, she turned me down. But many of you have heard this story before. Eventually, um, it was like a couple months later, we ended up on the beach with a group of college students. Um, and we are studying scripture and doing, you know, Jesus-y things. And um, as the story goes, uh, she ends up seeing me on the beach with my shirt off. And... Um, <laughs> And within uh, two weeks after that, we were on our first date. And there we are. 
Um, I wanted to show you this picture just so you know I used to not have gray hair. And so um, that was us at the Hard Rock Cafe. Uh, Megan, I think, was 18, maybe 19 years old at the time. Um, and we were there to see Blindside, not the movie Blindside, the band Blindside. Is anybody a fan of the movie or the band Blindside? Oh, several of you. Let's get together after this is over and talk about it. <laughs> And so, um, and you know, like the rest is history, right? Eventually we got married. We now have, uh, three kids. And in many ways, though our marriage is far from perfect, some of the best moments of my life have her right at the center of it. And, and my life has been transformed. Whenever I met Megan, I was convinced that I was going into the business world and just kind of try to climb the corporate ladder for Jesus, of course. And, um, and Megan, through her encouragement and support, began to help me believe that, man, God had called me to be a pastor and eventually to plant a church. And so, um, you know, because of this moment, uh, not only was my life transformed, but the lives of so many others have been transformed as well. And the reason I share that is because I really believe that God speaks to us. And the one thing I want you to see from the teaching today is that when God speaks to us, his word is never just for us. Uh, In other words, what I believe is that when God speaks to us, when he leads us by his Holy Spirit, he does so for for the sake of mission that is for others. Which means if we are going to be a people who are on mission, if we are going to live as God sent ones into a dark and a dying world, it is going to require that we have an openness to the leadership of the Holy Spirit in our lives day in and day out. This is why Martin Lloyd-Jones says the following, if you read church history, especially the history of revivals, right, the history where God really does something, you will find that a leading from the Spirit is something which is perfectly clear and definite. Men and women have been told by the Holy Spirit to do something. They knew it was the Holy Spirit speaking to them, and it tri- transpired that it obviously was his leading. It seems clear to me then, he says, that if we deny such a possibility, we are guilty of quenching the Spirit. With that being said, I want us to look in Acts 8 this morning at a man by the name of Philip, a man who is going to show us what it looks like to live a life led by the Spirit for the sake of mission that is for others. And just to set the context for you, if you remember from last week, Peter and John, they were arrested for preaching the gospel. Upon their release, they went to the church, and the first thing they did was pray to God. And they said, Sovereign God, because you are in control of all things, what we want you to do is make us bold so that we will continue to preach the gospel. It's amazing to me of all the things they could have prayed for. They don't pray for comfort. They don't pray for safety. They don't pray that God would crush their enemies. They pray for God to give them the courage to continue to step out and preach Jesus. And because of this, whenever you come to Acts chapter 5, they are arrested again for preaching Jesus. And I love in Acts chapter 5, verse 25, uh, 29, the religious leaders tell them basically, hey, either you need to shut up or we're going to shut you up. And Peter responded by saying, well, we must obey God rather than man. In other words, like you do to us whatever you want, threaten us with whatever you want to threaten us with, but because God has made us his witnesses, because we have been commanded to live as missionaries, as sent ones into the world, uh, we are going to continue to open up our mouths and tell people about Jesus. And so as a result of this, in Acts chapter 5, verse 40, it says the religious leaders called in the apostles. And in verse 40, it says they beat them and then charged them not to speak in the name of Jesus. And then they let them go. And whenever the apostles left the presence of the council, look at this. They left rejoicing that they were counted worthy to suffer dishonor for the name of Jesus. I just want to say this. In our country today, 
we most likely will not experience physical persecution for preaching Jesus. But you will, in fact, if you seek to live a godly life, if you seek to preach Jesus, you will suffer persecution in one way, shape, or form. Uh, just this past week, I was in an elders meeting at Kiss the Cook, and right when we were about to start the meeting, a woman comes in to Kiss the Cook and begins to yell at me across the restaurant, begins threatening me and telling me I need to shut my mouth. And basically what had happened is, is she had heard a sermon that I preached almost three years ago now about how Jesus and the gospel impacts our sexuality. And apparently she totally disagreed with that and just began to go off on me in the restaurant. So much so like everybody is just like looking at her, looking at me. Uh, eventually the, the owner of Kiss the Cook came and apologized for everything that happened. And as I thought about that this past week, I thought like, like man, that is just reality. As an old World War II pilot once said, you know you're flying over the right target when you're getting shot at. And that's what we see right here. Whenever you begin to live for Jesus, people will come against you. They're not going to agree with everything that you do and say. But I love in here the reality that whenever we are persecuted, we can rejoice because we are counted worthy enough to suffer in the name of Jesus. That's what the apostles do. They rejoice because of their suffering. And look at this. They continue uh, to, because they believe they are witnesses. They are missionaries. It says every day in the temple from house to house, they did not cease teaching and preaching that Christ is Jesus. Because they have breathed in Christ, the Holy Spirit, they can't help but breathe out Jesus no matter where they go. And as a result of this, in Acts chapter 6, it says that because of the preaching of the gospel, the disciples continued to increase in number. That means the church continued to grow. And as you all know, when the church grows, the more people you have, the more problems you have, the more needs you have, right? Because we're all a bunch of needy, broken people. And so when we come as we are, we come with our baggage. And so in Acts chapter 6, the pastors basically said, look, as pastors, we need to focus on teaching and on prayer. So what we're going to do is we're going to appoint deacons in the church to meet the practical needs of the people in our body. And a couple of the men they, uh, 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 that they appoint, one of them is this man named Philip, who our story is going to center on in just a little bit in Acts 8. But another man they appoint is this man named Stephen. And Stephen is a key figure in the book of Acts because in Acts chapter 7, though we don't have time to look at it today, Stephen becomes the very first martyr in church history. Because he, like the other disciples, would not shut his mouth, because he continued to preach Jesus, eventually he was arrested and he was stoned to death by the religious leaders of the day. And by the time we come to Acts chapter 8 today, the question we need to be asking is, how is the church going to respond to this? I mean, because now it's getting real. Now it's not just like, hey, shut your mouth or I'm going to do something to you. I'm going to kill you. Like now they're killing people because they will not stop talking about the resurrection of Jesus. So what is the church going to do? With that being said, look with me in Acts chapter 8, verse 1. It says, There arose on that day a great persecution against the church in Jerusalem. And they were all scattered throughout the regions of Judea and Samaria. Now that is significant because if you remember from Acts chapter 1, verse 8, Jesus said, When you receive the Holy Spirit, you will be my witnesses where? In, Jeru in Jerusalem, and then also in Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. Now, in Acts chapter 1, verse 7, the early church is still hanging out in Jerusalem. They're not leaving. They're not getting out of their little comfort zone, out of what is familiar. And so God, in his great sovereignty, allows persecution to come into the church. And what it does is it scatters the church now beyond Jerusalem and into these other regions of Judea and Samaria. And I want you to look what happens as they move into these places. If you skip down to verse 4, it says, Now those who were scattered went about preaching the word. 
So I mean, they can't help themselves. Like they're, they're not being scattered and then hiding and trying to make life just comfortable and safe for themselves. Like they're still going and, and now they're living as witnesses, as just as Jesus said in Acts 1, beyond Jerusalem and in Judea and Samaria. They keep preaching the gospel. And one of the persons, one of the people that was scattered is this deacon, Philip. And it says in verse 5 that Philip went down to the city of Samaria and he proclaimed to them the Christ. And the crowds with one accord paid attention to what was being said by Philip when they heard him and saw the signs that he did. Now pay attention to this next verse because people will sometimes tell you in the book of Acts that the reason miracles were performed is they were always only performed through the apostles. And therefore it can't be, it can't happen today. That was just a rare thing, but Philip is not an apostle. Okay? He's just an ordinary dude like you and me. And it says through Philip, unclean spirits crying out with a loud voice came out of many who had them. And many who were paralyzed or lame were healed. So verse 8, what is the result? There was much joy in that city. How do you know when the real resurrected Jesus has come to town? Answer, there's joy in that city. People are awakened to a deep and meaningful and abundant life that they have been longing for and searching for, but can only be found in Christ. And I just want to say, like, that's why we started this church almost six years or six years ago. It's because we truly believe that everyone in this city is longing for the joy and the good news that can only be found in the real resurrected Jesus. This is what we see happening right here in Acts chapter 8. Persecution breaks out. The early church is scattered. And because Philip begins to proclaim the gospel, a citywide revival breaks out. But then if you skip down to uh, Acts chapter 8, verse 26, I want you to see this. Acts chapter 8, verse 26, in the midst of all of this action and all of this activity, much of which we don't have time to cover at all, we see this. Now an angel of the Lord said to Philip, Rise and go toward the south, to the road that goes down from Jerusalem to Gaza. This is a desert place. Now we don't really know what Philip was doing in this moment. We don't know if he was praying. We don't know if he was eating. We don't know if he was sleeping. All we know is that an angel of the Lord, a messenger of God, comes to Philip with a message and tells him basically, Hey, I know there's a lot of excitement going on right now. I know that that a lot of people have been converted. I know there's a lot of passion here. There's a revival that has broken out. But I want you to leave a revival, and I want you to go to the desert. I want you to go to this lonely place. And look at this in verse 27. So Philip rose, and he went. That is incredible to me. Uh, There's no arguing with God. From Philip, there's no questions being asked. There's no try to reason his way out of this. God says, I want you to go south. And what does Philip do? He just starts walking. It says that he rose and he went. Uh, a couple months ago, my son, it was on a Saturday night. My wife and I were cleaning our house, getting ready for our missional community to come over the next day. And we were listening to uh, some worship music, and my son came in with this note that he wanted to give me. I think I can put it on the screen for you. My son is, is five, by the way. And on this note, um, by the way, this is a proud parenting moment. As you know, if you come here very often, I tell you a lot of like, not just like this is real life, like not proud parenting moments, okay? So just want to share that with you in case you're about to hear this and be like, oh man, I'm a crappy parent or whatever. So I got a lot of examples that can make you feel awesome about yourself. So... Um, <laughs> 
But in this moment, it was awesome. I, I was just sitting there, and all of a sudden, my son brought me this note. And it says on here, I will go to where I belong today. And I asked him, I said, son, what does that mean? And he said, I will go wherever God tells me to go. And awesome, five years old. And as I thought about that, I thought, man, that's exactly what we see happening right here with Philip. That's what we see right here with Philip, because this is a man who is clearly living in faithful obedience to Jesus. When God calls him to leave a place where all the action is, and to go to this incredibly lonely place, he says, I will go wherever God tells me to go. God says, go south, and Philip, it says, he rose and he went. He doesn't really know where he's going or what exactly he's called to do whenever he gets there, but he gets up, he goes, and in verse 27, it says, he comes across an Ethiopian eunuch, a court official of Candace, queen of the Ethiopians, who was in charge of all of her treasure. He had come to Jerusalem to worship and was returning, seated in a chariot, reading the prophet Isaiah. So apparently this is a man who is a wealthy man, and he is curious about God, like maybe some of you are even today, right? He's going to a worship service. He's going to a church service. He's trying to figure out who is this God, and how can I have a relationship with him? He's reading the prophet Isaiah, and then in verse 29... It says, the Spirit said to Philip, hang on to that, the Spirit said to Philip, go over and join this chariot. So Philip ran to him and heard him reading the Isaiah, or heard him reading Isaiah the prophet. We don't know here exactly um, what's going on. I don't know if the chariot's stuck in traffic. I don't know if, if the chariot's just going slow and Philip is coming to walk and slowly beside him. All we know is Philip, in this moment, he's faithful enough to be in close proximity to where the Spirit of God had told him to be. And as a result of this, look, he ran over, he heard the man reading the Isaiah the prophet, and he said to him, to the Ethiopian eunuch, do you understand what you're reading? And he said, how can I unless someone guides me? And he invited Philip to come up and sit with him. Now the passage of scripture he was reading was this, and this is like a softball. It's like, this is amazing to read this passage. Like a sheep he was led to the slaughter, and like a lamb before its shears is silent. So he opens not his mouth, and his humiliation justice was denied him. Who can describe this generation? For his life is taken away from the earth. And the eunuch said to Philip, about whom I ask you, does the prophet say this? About himself or about someone else? In verse 35, and then Philip, look at this, opened his mouth. Again, if we are going to live as witnesses, as missionaries, we have to open up our mouth. Philip opened up his mouth and beginning with the scriptures, he told him the good news about Jesus. And as they were going along the road, they came to some water. And the eunuch said, see, here is some water. What prevents me from being baptized? I just want to stop right here and say this. When you read in the book of Acts, the very next step after someone says, I want to follow Jesus, is they are baptized. Uh, Baptism is an incredibly important step in your relationship with Jesus. And I just want to say that because a week from this Sunday, we're having a baptism service. And I want to encourage you, if you have never been baptized and you want to be a follower of Jesus, you need to be baptized. Uh, This is the first step to really understand, like, am I truly going to surrender my life to Jesus as Savior and Lord? Baptism is a, it's a symbol of this fact that I have been buried with Christ and now I'm being raised to newness of life. And so if you've never been baptized on the right side of your conversion, I would encourage you, come talk to me, talk to Adam, talk to one of the pastors. We would love to help get you baptized, to take this incredibly important step in your discipleship to Jesus. This man hears the good news being preached, and upon hearing the good news, he says, I want to go be baptized. And so in verse 39, it says this, or in verse 38, he says, he commanded the chariot to stop, and they both went down to the water, and Philip and the eunuch, and he baptized him. 
And when they came up out of the water, the Spirit of the Lord carried Philip away. Which, how incredible is that? Like, Philip just teleports out of there. Talking about a miraculous gift. Like, I've been praying for that gift all week, especially when it comes to flying on planes, because I hate flying. I'm like, how awesome would it be just to go from one place to another? Philip is carried away, and then it says, The eunuch saw him no more, and he went on his way rejoicing. He went on his way rejoicing. And so the whole chapter starts out with a city rejoicing, and then because God not only cares about a crowd, but he cares about individuals, the chapter ends with this one man rejoicing. And what I want you to see today for our time together is that the reason this one man's life was transformed forever is because another man was open to the leading of the Holy Spirit. And in a lot of that reality, because I believe God wants to do a same kind of work in us and through us that we see in the book of Acts, I want to share with you in a lot of this today two simple truths, two very practical implications from this story that will help you and I also, like Philip, be led by the Spirit in the day in and day out for the sake of mission that is for others. And the first thing you need to know is this. To be led by the Spirit in the context of mission is about being open to spontaneous moments. I'm not sure if you notice this or not, but the meeting between Philip and the Ethiopian eunuch was not on Philip's calendar. That was not on his to-do list. That was not scheduled in his day. It's not like Philip opened up his iPhone, looked at the calendar app and said, okay, it looks like I need to be walking south to this desert place around 10 a.m. That should put me around the Ethiopian eunuch around 1 p.m. Then I'm going to be like, none of that's there. This is absolutely a spontaneous moment. Here's what that means. Please hear me today. If you are going to be led by the spirit for the purpose of mission, you have to become okay with spontaneity. You have to become okay with the fact that your plans may not always be God's plans. There are times where you are going to be heading one way and God is going to call you to go a completely other way. I was thinking about this and I've shared this before about the time when we started the church and I was asked to speak at a medical clinic and I was about to walk out the doors and I'm thinking to myself, okay, I've done my part. I've done what God calls me to do, but I'm about to walk out of the clinic and the spirit says to me, go and talk to this woman. And I'm still thinking, I don't know, that might be the voice in my head. That seems kind of weird. And so I'm just going to keep walking. And I felt God just say to me in that moment, you walk out the door and you see what I do to you. <laughs> and so I was like, all right, Lord. And so I go and I begin to talk to this woman and come to find out she was a meth addict. She was a cutter. Uh, she had lost custody of her child because of her addiction. And as she was talking, I got this vision that God had given me of a family being restored and eating a meal around our dinner table at our house. And so... Um, I began to believe that this was going to be this woman and her family. And so I gave this woman my number. I said, I know this is awkward, but here's my number. Call me if you ever need anything. And uh, a few months go by, didn't hear from her, but eventually Green County Jail calls me. And they say, hey, this woman, Diane, she's been arrested, but she has your number, and she requests that you come see her and you bring a Bible with you. And so I go up to the jail, and I'm thinking, okay, here we go, man. This is going to work out just as I planned it. I'm going to go in. I'm going to save this woman, and then we're going to restore her family. It's going to be amazing. Right, And so um, I go, I visit this woman, I begin to go through the scripture with her for six, seven, eight weeks. Eventually she says, hey, I want to give my life to Jesus. And not only that, I want to go get a faith-based rehab. So I go to our missional community. There's like 15 people in our church at this point. And I'm like, hey, everybody, dig into your pocketbooks, all right? Like we're going to bail this woman out of jail. And then we're going to go stand before the judge. And we're going to tell him, be sure and put this woman in rehab. And it's going to be amazing. And God's going to restore this family. It's going to be great. 
And, and, and our folks, for whatever reason, like, okay, we're going to do it, right? And so we go, we bail her out, we go stand before the judge, hey, give her a chance, and put her in rehab, and I'm thinking, here we go, just as I planned, this is going to be amazing. But within two weeks, the woman fled. She, she left the agape house, which means she had to go to prison. And I was in an emotional funk. I told my wife, I was just like, how in the world am I ever going to, with confidence, tell someone again that I heard from the Lord and you should trust me and follow me? It's like, I don't even know if I heard, did I hear from the Lord? I, I was so frustrated. Well, fast forward uh, a couple months later, what I discovered is that whenever Diane went into the Agape house, she shared her story with Brooke Smith. I mean, if you know Brooke Smith, and Brooke was so impressed by what our church did and how we loved her. She said, man, that's the kind of church I want to be a part of. Brooke had moved here from southern Mississippi. And, and then her husband, BJ, ends up becoming a Christian while he's in prison. And BJ reaches out to Brooke and says, hey, I want to get our family back together. And I want to keep Jesus at the center of it. She says, okay, well, I found a great church. You need to move up here to Paragold, Arkansas. BJ's like, Where, where's Paragold, Arkansas, you know? She's like, well, come on up. And so, so they come in a few months after BJ gets here. We're sitting around a table. In our dining room, eating gumbo, and immediately the Spirit's like, this is the family. This was the vision the entire time. And, and, and here we are now in 2019, BJ and Brooke, they've been leading a missional community in our church for, for five years. They've been a blessing to so many people. And every time I look at them, I was thinking about it again this morning, every time I look at BJ and Brooke, I am reminded of what God can do, and we just stay open to spontaneous moments. When we say yes to God, when he calls us to step out in faith towards an unplanned direction. See, because Philip had an openness about him when God tells him to move, even whenever Philip doesn't see the whole picture, he moves. And the reality is, if we want to see God, listen church, if we want to see God do an amazing work in us and through us, the same must be true of our lives. Like Philip, we must learn how to stand with an open posture. Ready to say yes, even when it means moving into unknown places or towards unknown people. When I think about the Spirit leading Philip to this unfamiliar territory for the sake of an Ethiopian man, I cannot help but think about God leading our missional community into an unfamiliar territory for the sake of an Ethiopian woman. Some of you have heard us share this story before, but a little over a year ago, I was driving down Court Street. I was coming to our church office and I saw a Muslim woman walking on the side of the road, and I felt, again, the Spirit prompt me that I needed to try to build a relationship with this lady. And I didn't feel like God was calling me to go to her right in that moment because I think that would have been offensive in, in this culture for a white man to just approach a Muslim woman who I didn't know. And so I went to our missional community. We had a prayer meeting that night, and we just prayed together. We said, man, let's pray for God to give us an open door to build a relationship with this woman. And what's incredible is after we prayed that, I go home and I get a phone call. It's a number I didn't recognize. A woman left a voicemail. It was a woman named Karen Spencer. And Karen said, uh, Pastor Jared, you don't know me, but I know you. Uh, you preached at a church that I'm a part of in Memphis last year. And uh, anyways, I worked for World Relief. And we just had a Muslim woman that, that moved to Paragould. And I was just wondering, would you and some of the people from your church be okay if we trained you guys and made you official case managers in her life and that way so y'all could meet and begin to minister to her? And I'm like, hey, I think that'd be okay, you know? And so I told him, we've been praying for this exact thing. The Spirit began to prompt us. And what's incredible is Haji, she has moved to Louisville now, but we've built a great relationship with Haji. I built a great relationship with her boys. Uh, one of her boys, Jabril, still lives here. As a matter of fact, he came to one of our services uh, a couple weeks ago. And, and through Haji, we have also now built a relationship with 35 other Muslim and refugees that are living right here in our city. Um, I think we even got a picture that we can put on the screen of, yeah, this was, I guess, a few months ago. 
You can see a picture of some of them in this uh, photograph. Uh, this is at my house. A lot of these Muslims come into our house. We go into their house. Uh, it's incredible what God is doing there. And we just get chances and opportunities to have gospel conversations with them and plant seeds, trusting that one day that God is going to bring about something beautiful in their lives. And I just share all that to say this. I truly believe that God wants to transform the lives of people in this region. But please hear me. The way that God is going to do this is by first transforming us into a people who make room for spontaneous moments where the Spirit calls us to step out in faith. And for the record, this does not have to be anything big. Sometimes the Spirit may be leading you to go to a desert place like we see with Philip. And sometimes he may be leading you just to send a simple text. And this past week on a Tuesday morning, I woke up and I just had a sense that I was under attack from the enemy. And so I sent a, um, a message to our elders and I just said, would you guys please pray for protection for me and my family and pray specifically that I would just know the love of God. And what's incredible is just a couple hours later, I got a text. I think I can put it on the screen. This is from Jason Noel who's in my missional community, knew nothing about what I'd sent to the elders. And he said, hey, man, praying for you today. I'm so blessed by your friendship and honored to have you as a pastor. I'm asking the Lord to shine his face upon you. I'm asking him to remind you just how much he loves you and how proud he is of you. It's amazing. Two hours after that, Ryan Vaughn, who I'm not that close to. Uh, I love Ryan Vaughn, but he listens to our podcast. Ryan, I do love you. Um, but I'm not, we're not that close. Um, he calls me and says, man, the spirit puts you in my heart. I just want to pray for you. I'm going to pray that I would just know God's love, man. I, now, I mean, you're talking about just encouragement. I mean, you're talking about, man, I just felt like, God, you see me. Like, you know me. You're aware of me. You hear my prayers. It gave me so much courage for the rest of the week. And, and, and listen, it doesn't happen like that every time. Sometimes the Spirit might lay on your heart to call or text someone, and they might just be like, hey, cool, man, thanks. You know? But other times like this, people are going to say, man, it is so timely. You have no idea how much I needed to hear that. It could not have come at a better time. And so with that being said, I just want to encourage you, pay attention to the voice of God and the everyday stuff of life. Because sometimes those thoughts that you have, hear me, sometimes those thoughts that you have are not really your thoughts. Sometimes it is God depositing something deep down in your spirit and he's calling you to respond in faith, whether that be a text message or a phone call or walking across the street or praying over a person. And if you're here and you're like, okay, but well, how do I know if it's God? You ever wonder that? Like, how do I know if it's actually God speaking to me or how do I know if it's just thoughts in my head? How do I know whenever it's the Holy Spirit prompting me to do something? And I think in order to answer that question, you just got to answer two other questions. And the first question is this. Is what the Spirit is speaking to me, Paul, right now, is it grounded in Scripture? Is it grounded in Scripture? Um, if you're sitting here right now and you're like, hey, man, I feel the Spirit's calling me to divorce my wife. My, my marriage is kind of lame. It's boring. And I found this other woman who's, who's prettier or I like more at my work. And so I really think the Spirit's calling me to do that. I can tell you right now, that's wrong. And you know why I know that's wrong? Because the Spirit's already spoken on the issue in the Scriptures. He's already told you what to do in your marriage. And so anytime you feel, is this something from God, what you should always do is go to the Bible, to the Word of God, and say, what does God say about this issue? A prompting will always line up with the Scriptures. Another question I think I would ask myself if you're trying to discern, is this a prompting from the Spirit, is this question, does this moment produce the fruit of the Spirit inside of me? So in 
Galatians, the Apostle Paul says that the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, and self-control. If it's a prompting from the Spirit, guess what then? You're going to begin to experience some of the fruit of the Spirit. Love for somebody, joy, peace, patience, kindness. Those are things that are going to begin to bubble up in you. And therefore, right, there's a good chance if that's happening, it's a prompting from the Spirit. It's an invitation from God now to step out for the good of the person, ultimately for the glory of his name. So to be led by the Spirit in the context of mission, it requires you to be open to spontaneous moments. Secondly and finally, what I would say is this. If you want to be led by the Spirit, to be led requires a sustained movement. A sustained movement in the direction of Jesus and in the way of his kingdom. The question about our lives when it comes to being led by the Spirit is this. Am I really willing, in the words of Eugene Peterson, to commit to a long obedience in the same direction? To a long obedience in the same direction. This long obedience in the same direction. The sustained, non-glamorous movement towards Jesus in the everyday stuff of life. When you look at the life of Philip, what you will find is a sustained movement towards Jesus. So Philip was not a perfect man. He was a man of faith. He was a man saturated with Scripture so much so that he was able to point the Ethiopian eunuch to the right place and tell him what the Scripture was all about. He was a man committed to listening to prayer. He was a man who serves. He was a man who had a sustained movement towards Jesus. And please hear me, guys. It is only from out of that ground that we will see the Holy Spirit birth these spontaneous moments. This is why we talk all the time at our church about committing to the spiritual disciplines. It's why we encourage you to cultivate a daily habit of silence and solitude. It's why we encourage you to read the scriptures daily, to show up here on Sundays, not just when all the stars align and when you feel just like it. It's why we encourage you to plug into missional communities and DNAs because it is all of these practices, when they are put in place, they are put in place for the purpose of helping us live in a sustained movement towards Jesus and his kingdom. The truth is, no matter how bad you want to see God do a great work in you and through you, apart from a sustained movement towards Jesus, a long obedience in the same direction, you will never make a kingdom impact in the lives of others. And so to be led by the Spirit in a mission is to be open to spontaneous moments while living a sustained life, a sustained movement towards Jesus. And listen, the former is contingent on the latter. The first thing is dependent on the second thing. The more you live in a sustained movement towards Jesus, the more open to the leading of the Holy Spirit you will become. In other words, you cannot just come here on a Sunday and then go do your own thing and just wonder, like, why in the world does the Holy Spirit not ever speak to me? Why don't I ever feel prompted in my my life? It's because you don't have a relationship with Jesus, a daily just abiding in the vine. Just as if I'm distant from my wife, the more distant I am from her, the less I hear her voice. The same is true when it comes to God. So there needs to be a sustained movement towards the direction of Jesus. And because that is true, as we kind of begin to come in for a landing this morning, as a practical step forward, here's what I want to encourage you to ask yourself today. It's a real simple question, but profound question. Question I want you to ask of Jesus is this What is the next right thing that you are calling me to do? What is the next right thing that you are calling me to do? 
Rather than looking at where you are versus how far you still have to go, rather than trying to feel like you have to boil the whole ocean, just ask Jesus this question. If you want to be led by the Spirit, begin to ask, what is the next right thing you are calling me to do right now in this moment? For some of you, here's what this is going to mean. Right now, the Spirit is telling you it's time to surrender your life to Jesus. That's the next right thing. There are some of you, and and here's what I believe, there are some of you in here that you have been praying for God to save you, and what you really mean by that is for God just to make your life better, and then you go to him just whenever you get in trouble so he can bail you out again. That's not a relationship, that's a business transaction. You know it's you, the Holy Spirit's calling you right now, he's saying to you, I don't just want you when things go bad, I want you all the time. And he's calling you this morning to surrender everything that you have, your time, your dreams, your ambitions, your sins, everything that you have to come and to trust in the perfect life, death, and resurrection of Jesus. For others, the next right thing, and maybe the Holy Spirit is calling you to walk across the street today and to actually introduce yourself to your neighbors. And for some of you, that's going to be really awkward because you've been living by your neighbors for five years and you still don't know their names. And you're just going to have to go up to them and say, hey, I never caught your name, man. Uh, what's your name again? You know, and, and just begin to have that conversation. For others, maybe the thing the Spirit is calling you to do is to invite someone far from God to start eating a meal with you every week. Did you know we eat on average 21 meals a week? And maybe for some of you, the Spirit says the next right thing is for you to just take one of those 21 meals and eat it with someone who is far from God. For others, the Spirit right now is calling you to forgive someone who has hurt you, to show them in a tangible way what the grace and the mercy and forgiveness of God looks like. For others, maybe the Holy Spirit right now is calling you to start going to bed 15 minutes earlier so you can wake up and spend time with Jesus, so that you can stop pouring from an empty cup and pour from a full cup. I don't know what it may be for you, but here's the truth. Though you cannot do everything, you can do something. And so what is the next right thing? And then my hope is that you will trust that whatever that is, no matter how little or minute you may think it is, that you will step out in faith and trust that in the end, it'll be worth it. All that being said, as we end this morning, the invitation that Jesus has for us today is to join him in transforming the world. To provide a solution to the world's biggest problem by giving an answer to the world's biggest question. I think back to the story of Philip and the eunuch. The eunuch asked Philip, how can I understand this unless someone explains it to me? Because Philip is a man who is led by the Spirit. He comes alongside the eunuch. He meets him where he is, and he provides for him an answer to his question. He helps the eunuch discover the salvation and the satisfaction that he has been longing for but been unable to find up to this point. And I really believe, guys, that is a picture of what our relationship is meant to be like to the world. To come alongside an anxious and lonely, bored and burnt out people who are feverishly searching for satisfaction and fulfillment and pointing them to the only one who can give them what it is they long for the most. This is the invitation before us. Like Philip, God is inviting us to get out of our seats, to get out of our comfort zones and to go where people are, to show them a picture of the gospel, not just our hands, but to tell the gospel with our mouths. And when we do this, lives will be transformed, Jesus will be glorified, and our lives will become full. As we enter into a time of communion today, here's what I want to encourage you with. It is important for us, I think, to remember that the reason that we can live as sent ones is because God was first sent for us. 
before we can ever make a sustained movement towards Christ, we need to remember that Christ has made a sustained movement towards you and me. How amazing is it to know Christianity is the only religion in the world that teaches this? That whenever we sin against God, I talk to our Muslim friends about this, it's amazing to me. You know, so many other religions, they will teach you, and every thing in society will tell you that because we've screwed up, that we have to now work our way to God, we have to atone for our own sins. Christianity says, no, God says, no, 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 you're not going to work to me, I'm going to work to you. God has made a sustained movement towards every single one of you in the room today. Do you realize that? Even when you've been totally unaware of him, while you were still in sin, Christ came and died for us. While you were still looking at pornography, still doing drugs, gossiping, cheating, lying, Christ made a sustained movement towards you. And you know what's beautiful? He's still making a sustained movement towards you today. He's still coming at you with rescue and salvation and forgiveness and mercy. And if you've trusted in that, I want to encourage you, as we do every single week, to come, tear off a piece of bread and dip it in the juice as a pitcher of what Christ has done for us. But if you're here today and you have never received Christ, you've never surrendered everything to him, rather than partaking of communion, I would encourage you to partake of Jesus. I'll be sending up here in the front. Um, I know Luke will be here. Adam, we'd love to connect with you and help you understand what your best next step may be. And a lot of that, I'm going to invite the band to come forward. I'm going to invite you guys to stand with me. I want to pray for us. And then we'll sing another song and partake of communion together. I want to encourage you right now, just before I pray and before we shuffle and, and head out, yeah, just take a moment and ask that question to God. Maybe you haven't had a chance to ask that yet. And trust that God will speak. What is the next right thing for me? What is the next right thing? Father, I pray that right now that through your Holy Spirit that you would speak to each of us here. That we would trust that you are a relational God. And that you desire to have a relationship with each person in this room, no matter who they are or where they've come from or what they have done or not done. I pray that today that you would open their eyes to see that truth. And that we would trust in you even more. And from the place of knowing that you were sent for us, that we would now move towards you and move towards others with the good news of the gospel. Remind us of that good news right now as we physically take of the bread and we dip it in the juice. I pray that the gospel becomes as real to us in that moment as the bread and the juice that fills our mouth. And it's in Christ's name that we pray. Amen.